If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be full of decision points, and here is why. In this episode, we're going to find some answers to what are some options to making travel encounters matter? And how do we go about building those encounters to make sure they're juicy? And can we flesh out some more random prompts without making total asses of ourselves when really we're just saying we're going to use more patron content? <laughs> To flesh out our show and add our two cents hey, to it. Hey, spoiler alert. <laughs> Sorry. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So let's talk about your butt. Well, <laughs> I'm on antibiotics and we're going to discover the side effects as we go. <laughs> Maybe it'll be some delirium. You had uh, butt surgery. Yeah. For butt stuff. How much detail do you want to go into? <laughs> well, we can we can stop there, but I just want to make sure that everyone knows that you are indeed a broke ass. Yeah, well, sure. <laughs> My butt has hurt for a week. <laughs> if that helps. And so, as of today, it stopped hurting. So congrats. congrats. <laughs> so I'm happy and delirious from the drugs. Well, this episode's going to be weird because today we're also talking about travel encounters. Not just my butt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got what I wanted out of that. Good. Yeah. Well, getting to what we've been actually thinking about all day, there's lots of posts out there that try to suggest making fun systems for travel is a great way to make it more interesting. Like you can make one player the navigator, one the lookout, one the campsite maker, one the cook. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, those systems are okay. Those systems, I wouldn't knock because, I mean, hey, it's it's something. Well, I think those systems, they're a way to navigate your way through a story, but on their own, they're just mechanics. If you just were to use those mechanics in a void, you'd just be rolling dice. A lot of those systems end up saying, hey, roll, once you've kind of established, you know, who's made base camp and, you know, they, they roll and they get a four, and that means an encounter happens, so roll on a random table anyways. Like, it it doesn't really answer the question why. Right. doesn't give any meaning or purpose to any of the things that are happening on the road. And I'm left with this hollow feeling. More hollow than normal. More hollow than my... <laughs> <laughs> than your hollow butt? <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> and you might be listening for a quick answer to how to make travel encounters and you might even be reluctant to listen to this whole podcast episode because it's a lot of your time that we're not going to give back to you <laughs> we refuse there's no refunds but we will try to deliver in this as to reward your listening ears and your dedication but that being said there were three other episodes that built up to this point yeah unofficially but those certainly help a lot <laughs> Well, maybe we can streamline this whole endeavor and recap quickly what we've already talked about. Right. If you didn't listen to those episodes, 
we've got one about pacing, where we talk about knowing your structure, if it's looser to find, and you want to have some kind of a roadmap. You want to speed up when you need to with montages and few decision points and slow down when you need to, where you build up tension with conflict and use longer descriptions, more decision points, and explore character details and personalities. And then we did an adventure about clocks and more specifically adding a ticking clock to your story. It could be a mystery deadline, an event of some type, some competition that's happening, or you're being pursued by an enemy. But either way, you've got a backup plan just in case things go sideways for your players. And then you've got a way to deliver that message and make sure your players are aware of that ticking clock. And our last episode was about travel adventures where we talked about the type of goal you've got. And if it is an epic travel adventure where it starts when they leave point A and it's a journey to reach point B, or if it's an adventure that starts at point B and you can really just get through the travel. And we talk about what your main conflict is. If your players are dealing mostly with environmental challenges, with a pursuer of some kind, or with their own self-doubt. <laughs> And finally, defining your scale. How big is it going to be? Is it going to have uh, side quests and mini adventures within it? Or is it just going to be a quick, punchy, solve some shit along the way and you're there? So that's a lot to cover about adventures. And this one should hopefully cap off the entire thing, which is, all right, now that we've got all of these travel stories and adventures, how do we build an actual travel encounter. So we've decided, yes, we're going to stop for a moment and we're going to explore life on the road. But I see you reaching for that dice. Don't do it. To roll on a random encounter table. <laughs> well, we need to consider an alternative to a random table. If we're going to say, hey, don't touch that random table, then we better bring something to the table ourselves. Fine. Let's go to the strategy stateroom and do it. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So I would argue that this Strategy Stateroom is a little simpler than most of them. You could definitely say that based on the number of steps. <laughs> this is really a two-step process, which I think definitely has some more going on but i mean normally our strategy staterooms are like seven eight nine steps this is simple it is make the encounter matter and make the outcome matter and we kept it kind of vague because there's some things we wanted to say about creating a good travel encounter but also there's a thousand ways to actually build out an encounter so this isn't the absolute end of the conversation well, we have more episodes to make, so I certainly wouldn't want to be that definitive. Right. I definitely agree that we need to really make sure that any encounter that we're doing, whether it's a travel encounter or a dungeon encounter or anything else, if there's an opportunity to expand and really answer that question that we posed in the beginning of why, why is this here? What is it doing? Is it simply to whittle away our players' hit points a little bit? Or can it, if we want it to, with a little extra effort, support a larger story or create character growth or a number of different purposes 
even a, a puzzle door can eventually do this with a little bit of massaging and a little bit of creativity. So we have a couple of questions that we have to kind of answer when we're thinking about travel encounters. That kind of help you define why you're putting it in the game. So like, does it support the world that you're creating or have created? You could introduce or foreshadow a theme or a key element, kind of like a player character introduces their new abilities. Like in one of our campaigns, for example, we wanted the lack of water to be a super important part of the world. So when they were traveling to the city, we had to establish that in a couple of encounters along the way so that when they got there, they knew that water was going to be in short supply and that defined a lot of the struggles of the city. If you have been world building a place where law reigns absolute and there are evil characters on the horizon, like all of these things we can make clear to the players in some of the encounters that they might have along the way. So if they're traveling from one country to another and we're finding out in this next country that, say, magic is persecuted, well, before they get in there and we just drop that bomb on them and as it's affecting them, we can include a scene where they have to get involved in some kind of decision-making for what happens to somebody who used magic on the border. Hmm. And kind of similarly, does it foreshadow a threat or event that's coming up. If you are planning a big event in the city that the players are traveling to, airship battle, and it's going to be swooped in by dragons, we can use this opportunity to foreshadow certain elements. Like, for instance, somebody saw a dragon a couple of weeks ago, and now this is a part of this encounter. Or we can talk about how important this event is to the people of this region. And if anything were to happen to it, that would be devastating. So that when they eventually see dragons piloting airships against each other, <laughs> it'll make sense. Wow. <laughs> that encounter got Why? really, really not, wild. Not that they need to. It's just easier. <laughs> you can foreshadow a menacing force that they're going to encounter later on in their stories by seeing people that need to be released from cages along the road as this is part of their punishment or something like that. Just caging them up, showing them off. Then letting them go. <laughs> it's like a catch and release program. Yeah. A roadside catch and release. That's much better to me than taking them somewhere. Does the encounter round out some previous decision that's been made? Like, do they meet somebody that they once saved or maybe a moderate foe shows up along the way that they once let slip through their fingers. Or Ooh. you as a DM were a dick and had them plane shift to a place where they couldn't be chased. <laughs> well, see, I love this because this really gives an opportunity to reward the players in small, subtle ways and tie your whole world together. Like all of those little loose ends that you inevitably have throughout playing a longer campaign. Yeah. You can have these people come back in very small roadside encounters. And this is how like weird friends of the party start to slowly, you know, dig their roots into the story because they just keep seeing them come up. It's like Dandelion from the Witcher series. <laughs> it's like wherever wherever Geralt goes, Dandelion's in trouble somewhere. <laughs> right in his path. Yeah. Somehow. And you know, to your point. The opposite is true as well. Those pesky 
bad guys that just keep slipping through their fingers, keep getting away. That is so good to just have them come back because I don't know how many times as a player I've sat there and gone, God, I wanted to smash that guy. <laughs> ah, he, you know, like you said, plane shifted away, but here's my chance and I can gain a sense of closure because now he's vulnerable after a roadside attack and now I can finish him off. Oh, wow. He's just laying there. Oh, yeah. Gasping his last. Well, that segues nicely into the next question is, does it build character? Now you've got this character option of, do you go for the smash? (laughs) (laughs) Or does this character grow and find a little bit of mercy? So can you build a character with a particular travel encounter? You can, and I think the way to do it, we'll talk a little bit more about decisions, but you can put their goals in conflict or you can put their values in conflict. Like if you've got, you know, the classic lawful good cleric going on in the party that definitely wouldn't kill that guy, but you've also got the person that has been personally wronged by them and all they've ever wanted is revenge against them. Now you've got some character dynamics going on that are going to have to be explored before this encounter is finished. That's some spicy drama. And I guess that's more of an example of the next question, which is, does it build relationships or, you know, unbuild relationships? And those two really kind of blend together for me sometimes because we can build travel encounters that really focus on one player and look at their flaws and their bonds. So if we have one character whose flaw is is that they're deathly afraid of heights, now we can build some kind of encounter where they have to go up high and maybe one of the other characters can step in or either way this character is going to need to face that flaw face that fear and maybe they get helped by another party member so it can really start to build those relationships as well as allow players to explore their character flaws in a really fun way yeah or you know a very simple example is like putting something that that character wants out of reach based on their flaw. Like maybe they're collecting eagle feathers and they see one that's on one of those precarious little ledges and they either (laughs) have to overcome their fear or ask for help, but it's a role play moment. And ultimately that encounter is going to feel a lot better than, oh, look at that, uh, another random owlbear attack. That's like the (laughs) third time you've rolled a seven on that random table, DM. Here it comes, trudging down the road. (laughs) Hey, it's me again, Gary the Owlbear. I'm here for my third beating <laughs> okay. of the quest. This premise is that this, it's the same owlbear that's been following them just to get his ass kicked? Yeah. Weird. He's kind of a masochist. <laughs> All right, so the next step is to make the outcome matter. So how do I make a decision for my players as a DM. Often when I'm trying to figure this out, I sit there and I think about how to make it a moral decision. How do I give them an interesting moral choice here? And I really come up with a blank. Well, and maybe that's for the greater good because a role-playing adventure is not about trying to sit down at a table and teach your friends some morality because they're... (laughs) lawless, morally bankrupt 
wretches. Because first of all, they're not going to make moral choices in D&D. We've all seen that too many times. And second of all, it's just your morality. (laughs) It's the DM's morality hour. (laughs) So anyways, how do you actually make it a good decision? Well, I think we can hinge this on a couple of ideas. So first is making the decision clash against two values. So you could take fame or honesty. Does the group take credit for an event that maybe they just had a slight hand in? Because it'll make things easier for them when dealing with the town. Exactly, yeah. If you mix goals in, it also becomes pretty easy because if you put a character's goal up against the character's value, then they have to make a choice that's important to them. Like if they value fame, but they've got their ticking clock story objective, they got to get to the next town because event is popping off. So do they stay in town to get the reward that's coming the next day for something they did? Or do they move on? See, that's a really interesting idea, just holding them back from their story objective because you've been smart and you used a ticking clock. Yeah, there's some leverage that you have over the players to say, this is just an interesting choice. There's no morality here. This is just A or B. And there's positive outcomes to either. And you can throw in a lot of those throughout your adventure. It doesn't feel like a major choice. It's not like one of those jokers hanging two of Batman's loved ones over a pit (laughs) moral choice it's just it's a choice that's interesting to the players and the characters now and to build on top of that again that goal versus value is fairly easy to use when you have a story objective you have a story goal that the players want to try to accomplish and I like throwing in like reprehensible characters that they need to work with in order to achieve that goal. So it's like, are you going to play nice? Can you <laughs> hold your tongue for the revenge that you can, you can come back later and smack him around a little bit, but he's going to be an asshole to you. Let's see how you handle this scenario. But he's the key. Well, and then you can just bring it down to goal versus a goal. Absolutely. This one's like, Pretty much the simplest, because if they do have two goals, you just make the key to those goals happen at the same time. They got to go after one or the other. It's two ticking clocks. Yeah. But of course, if we're going to reward the players making this decision, again, this is another reason why we do not want a moral choice, because a moral choice usually implies that you're not going to reward the immoral choice. So we need to make sure that the players always benefit because this is a role-playing game and they want to be heroes. So no discernible reward versus a reward is not an equal outcome. Right. I mean, if you take away all the story, yeah, a bag of 50 gold is worth more than nothing. So I guess I'll (laughs) go for the thing that gets me the gold. Exactly. So as a DM, when I'm doing this, all I'm doing is sitting down and saying, yes, if they choose A, then this character rewards them with the secret plans and if they choose b then this character rewards them with a super sweet magical sword but either way the players are benefiting from making a hard choice and speaking of those benefits you don't always have to just think of like hey i better give him some loot or some gold for doing good on this mission because that's all i got in my back pocket i think a really powerful and easy reward or punishment for doing badly on something 
is to get them either closer to or farther away from their current goal. Absolutely. You know, you get put a day behind. Yeah. And like, it's easy to come up with because you're familiar with the story that you're all telling at the table. And it can be a lot more impactful than that random item that might not even help them when they're fighting the giant timber wolf. I mean, it's going to get sold at the next town anyways. Yeah. (laughs) No, fair point. And the final step to doing this is figuring out how to convey the information that they need to make the choice to foreshadow some of the information that will help them make that choice. Do not hold back on this. Otherwise, again, it's a meaningless choice. If they're literally just saying A or B, I'll go A because I don't know why it matters yet, then (laughs) you've really fudged it. Yeah. And this is probably the thing that I've screwed up the most. Yeah. I've, I've messed this one up so many times in really not giving the players the full scope and the full weight of their choices prior to making them. And I think this is maybe somewhere where a lot of DMs kind of slip up. They have these decision points that they've mapped out for their players. They've got their A and they've got their B. And they have plans to hinge their B decision on all of these future things. Oh my God, this is going to have ripple effects all the way down. They saved this guy, but... What they didn't realize is is that he's actually part of the royal family, and then he's going to be the one that helps the Mad King. Who's a doppelganger. Oh, my God. But the players didn't know that when they chose B. They didn't know that when they helped him. So giving little hints in the setup of that encounter is so, so powerful. Now we've got the character is in whatever perilous situation that they are in, And they have crunched up in their right hand all of these rolls of paper that have scrawlings all over them. Who is this mysterious person and why does he have all of these weird, mad ramblings? And oh my goodness, over there he's got like a precious stone that he's trying to hold and keep away from the, the people that are trying to attack him. Now all of a sudden, maybe those future plans will mean a little bit more because they made that decision. And I'm pretty sure I've said something like this before. Before I let players get to that point where they don't have all the information, if I have to, I'll just drop an NPC in that's talkative because they want to be talkative (laughs) and they know what needs to be said. I find that, even though it sounds dumb and ridiculous, ends up better for me, the DM, than letting them go in with no information. Yes, 100%. We thank the exposition NPC. Yeah. They play a vital role. (laughs) (laughs) In the experience of those characters. They save you from your bad setup. (laughs) So we should probably put some of this into practice. Let's go through, say, an example and try and put all of these questions and concepts to work. Keep it simple because I'm delirious. Oh, yes. The the drugs are really hitting you now, are they? (laughs) We'll see. Only time will tell. Okay. So we need an example Uh, An example premise of the characters are delivering fireworks for the summer festival in the town of Tribor. And they got to get to Tribor, obviously. Yeah. That's their goal. That's the travel. And now we're going to build some travel encounters based on it. Well, I like a little intrigue. So what if the characters are safekeeping evidence of the mayor's crimes to be presented at the festival? Ooh. 
more scoundrelly. Yeah, I like that. Well, we need a ticking clock, so the festival's tomorrow. Oh, shoot. And they've got uh, 35 miles they got to go on foot. Better hustle. The type of conflict we're going to have here, well, I mean, the mayor is an antagonist. Sounds like it. We pick on the mayor a lot. Yeah, he's always causing trouble. <laughs> it's always the mayor. <laughs> we're simple. We're simple creative types. But I mean, yeah, that's an easy one to throw in there. He's trying to stop evidence from coming. All of a sudden, you've got minions of his that you can use. Oh, shit. So the mayor knows that the players are out to get him. Well, that certainly makes the travel more interesting than if he doesn't. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So let's make a couple of encounters. So first, we got to build the world. We have to establish that he's got dragons piloting airships. Holy shit. Okay. Let's go a little simpler. Fine. I need, I my brain still has to figure our way through this. I'd like to start with kind of building the world and kind of upping the stakes. You know, I like where we're going with this mayor and him kind of seeing the players coming and now the, the characters got to get there. So I'm thinking in order to establish some stakes in the world, we'll throw in an encounter where the mayor's secret police are arresting someone who loosely fits their description. Nice. And because they're the ones that are en route to disturbing the whole summer festival. Yeah. I mean, clearly this person's innocent. So I especially like it if you got some of those weird uh, characters in there, like a gold dragonborn. So there's just some guy that's got weirdly draconic features. Yeah. It's not a dragonborn. It's just an (laughs) angular man. So he's getting arrested (laughs) and that kind of, introduces our decision point. So do they keep their heads down and keep moving forward and maintain their cover? Or do they intervene and save an innocent man? Get in some dukes with some secret police. So we need two outcomes to this encounter. Sure. Well, the outcome for the keeping their heads down is just going to be that they're going to maintain their surprise. No covers blown. Yeah. But what's the results for the poor lookalikes? Well, I would suspect that we're going to throw that person in the town, in the stocks. Maybe they can have another chance at writing their wrong later on. Right before the mayor shoots him out of a cannon. (laughs) (laughs) And really drives it home that when you have the opportunity to save somebody, you do it. (laughs) Or outcome B, if they do intervene and they kick the shit out of all these secret police... They steal the secret police badges and or uniforms, and they have unfettered access to the summer festival. The secret police have uniforms? Fair enough. Okay, (laughs) fine. Just badges. Secret badges. (laughs) Secret badges. Yeah, you can hide a badge. Yeah. Maybe their uniforms are underneath their regular clothes and they're super tight leotard uniforms (laughs) that they only show to each other. Ew. (laughs) They just pull in town one side of their pants and there's a little impression on their ass. (laughs) Okay, so we need some way to convey all of the outcomes to the players. We need to make sure that all of the stakes are on the table so that they know that making this decision matters and these are the likely outcomes. So I think the easiest way to do this, again, is with a little bit of subtle exposition As the person is being arrested, as the players are watching this scene unfold, this person is screaming about, oh my God, you guys get away with everything. Why are you able to go anywhere and arrest anyone without question? Because of our secret badges. Shut up. (laughs) 
okay, this premise is falling apart. No, it's not. What if the person being arrested also called out the ridiculousness of, like, why are you targeting me? Why not them? And point over at the rest of the party. That's kind of their decision point moment almost. Yeah, like they'd have to either step up or just like eyes forward, soldier on. Nice. And these can be fairly simple decisions too, simple encounters. Like, for example, if I wanted to give the players a chance to build a little character that's not going to impact the mayor's grand reveal or anything like that. We're going smaller scale. Yeah. If you're dealing with some simple character values, like one of them values nature and one of them values loot, then all you need to do is have a fire that maybe gets out of hand, a campfire that they're passing, but another group that's nearby dropped their stuff because they saw the fire growing and they wanted to get away faster. You hear some gold hit the ground. I don't see how there is any outcome other than the players are shit people. What do you mean? Well, you either help put out the fire or you rob the people that dropped their loot because they were helping with the fire? No, they're running away from the fire. Oh, okay. They're just trying to get out. (laughs) That's super shitty. (laughs) They're awful people. (laughs) They are abandoning their loot. They're not planning to come back for it. And yes, I realize that this isn't (laughs) super deep or great. But the decision point there is just, do you put out the fire or do you get some sweet loot? And the it's not so much which one they succeed at. It's the fact that there's going to be some character tension there and it might prompt a little bit of role playing. Yes. No, I can definitely agree with that because you're going to split that party right down the middle of what do we do? Do we? I know that if the party has a rogue and or a druid or cleric or just pretty much anybody good, um, <laughs> that you're going to have some decisions be split. And you can still let them put out the fire and have the other person come and help afterwards. But at least now they can say, hey, shithead, why'd you do that? And I really like the opportunity to explore some of the outcomes and how you really lay that out for the players beforehand. Is it now a camp that is rescuing some of the tainted animals from the forest and they're trying to like excise the demons that have taken a hold of this forest? And now it's a question of, should we let the forest burn? Is it a tainted evil forest? Mm, Yeah, add a little bit of moral decision-making just for the druid themselves. And then the question also becomes, who dropped the loot? Was it a royal carriage? that ran so fast out of this forest to get this, his frickin' highness, hoity-toity, away from the danger that the loot actually fell off the back of the wagon. Yeah. And maybe there's a bigger reward if they get the loot and take it back. Totally, yeah. It could be something that they know is going to be important later on. So it actually becomes a more of a decision. Then again... Either one of these potentially drags your campaign totally off the rails of why you were going from point A to point B. But hopefully that uh, gets across that there are a few more steps rather than random encounters from tables. And this goes against what we said, but you can even plug a random encounter into these filters and end up with something meaningful. Totally. If you take a random owlbear encounter and throw in a decision point in there somewhere. Yeah. And then some hint to the outcome of a decision A or B, then you have such a better 
travel encounter than you did 30 seconds ago. All right, final example. You've got the mayor on a wagon that's got a cannon with the guy you didn't save and an owlbear jammed into the cannon at the same time. It's pointed at the airship that the dragon is piloting. <laughs> that's careening down towards you and it's on fire. And it's going to hit the orphanage. Yeah. What do you do? I need you to recap that about five or six more times for me to make an educated decision. Act fast. Time crunch. <laughs> You're a dick of a DM. So for any travel encounter, make the encounter matter and make the outcome matter. That's it. That seems deceptively easy for all of the bullshit that we just went through for the last 15 minutes. But... We can break this up a little bit by heading over to the Griffin Street Market. Must-have provisions and supplies can be found for the right price at the Griffin Street Market. Hey, we got two items for you today. The first is this glorious robe of eyeballs. Robe of eyes, as it's more commonly known. Especially useful if you're on the run from someone, if you're worried about getting creeped on. You can see them coming 360 degrees or in total darkness. Though, come to think of it, you'd be pretty easy to spot in that thing. It's uh, loud to say the least. Yeah, it does have actual eyeballs all over it, which is, I mean, you're a creep for sure. Like, don't follow people. I'm pretty sure Elton John would shy away from wearing that thing. It is, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's loud. Unless you're in a crowd of beholders, you aren't blending in shit. <laughs> no, you're not being sneaky. You're just letting everyone know you're worried. You know what? Never mind. We have something else far more useful. Okay, so you know when players drag stories off the adventure path. They do it all the time. Absolutely. When our players do, they can tell immediately because our descriptions got a bit rubbish all of a sudden. Absolutely. Or you're a fantasy DM with more campaign ideas than prep time. Like us, of course, you are. Does your party have a peculiar knack for going to the places you never expect them to go? Well, in addition to a universal search, Describe allows users to browse its vast collection of box text by setting, such as forest or farm or monster type, beast or undead. It has them all. So you can quickly search it. You can build out settings and scenes that just happened because you didn't want them to. Describe can be used during session prep on the fly. So even if they, you know, they're in a haunted manner and they go poking around rooms you didn't think they would, they get super specific because this one is for a haunted manor bathroom. <laughs> They've got you prepped for that. Heeding the call of nature, you enter the house's privy to do your business when you suddenly hear a loud sucking noise coming from within its darkened depths. Perhaps it would be better to use a chamber pot after all. How on earth do they do box tech so good for something so specific? I love it. Describe can be used at the tabletop or online, wherever you play. It's fantasy game system agnostic. Scenes contain no reference to game rules or mechanics, so you can use them no matter what you play. Visit describe.com forward slash hook. That's D-S-C-R-Y-B dot com forward slash hook. And you can use the code hook at checkout to save yourself 10%. Now tell me that isn't way better than a robe of creepy eyes. 
And now let's move on to Kinship Camp. This is Kinship Camp, where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventurers around the safety of the fire. All right, so this is a continuation of a prompt we threw to our patrons because they're creative and awesome and brilliant. And I, yes, I'm buttering you up. <laughs> and they gave us some really cool ideas to flesh out some travel adventures with. And like we mentioned in the last episode, they really kicked the living shit out of us because we were expecting uh, very mild travel adventure premises when we asked to the answers to the prompts of a flaw that a character has, an antagonist, and an environment. And they gave us some of the most detailed and creative and wild prompts that I just could not have expected. And you see, and since you see that our bar is set at the mayor is a bad person, <laughs> <laughs> these were definitely reaching beyond what we were expecting. So we'll start with Scotty's. His character flaw was being obsessively interested in minutiae and trivia about insects. And we respect the fact that you think that's uh, a flaw because maybe it'll annoy some people. But knowing all that <laughs> stuff isn't necessarily bad, Scotty. That's all right. The antagonist of a mad artificer scientist intent on killing all bees. Ooh. And the environment of a karst rainforest. So I was thinking the goal of this travel adventure could be prevent the bee-destroying device that this mad scientist artificer has created from being deployed. Okay, so it's like looming on the horizon, there's a date. Yeah, maybe it's even got like a purplish-red glow to it as it's being constructed and initiated. That's the ticking clock, is that like there's still pieces to be coming to put this thing together? Yeah, but it'll be done and it'll explode on... <laughs> this time on this day. Okay. <laughs> he's got a timeline that he's mailed out. Smart. He's sent pamphlets <laughs> to the local area. By the way, on Thursday, I'll be killing all bees. <laughs> exactly. And so for the conflict of this adventure, I think that the antagonist is going to fill that slot pretty well as the main focus. But of course, you've got to have a side of environment because that karst rainforest is pretty cool. And if you're like me and you didn't know what Karst was, because all you know about her fantasy worlds and not this real one. It's a landscape that's created from eroding soluble rocks like limestone that results in hazards like sinkholes, caves, and cool towers of crumble stones. Cool. There's some dangerous cool stuff to work with. That's a great idea. As for the scale, I think kind of a medium scale would be good because I don't want it to be over super quickly because there's a lot to play with, but I also don't want it to be like a months long campaign quite. You could yeah. if you wanted to, but all I'm looking for is a couple opportunities for like some quick side quests because this character is going to care a lot about rescuing bugs. I mean, this almost feels like a side quest in something like Tomb of Annihilation. Fair enough, yeah. But the side quest that came to mind for me was like, they got to rescue an ankeg. That's a big bug. Okay. And that's kind of cool because maybe there's even another group of adventurers that's trying to vanquish the Ankeg. Ah, I see. Yeah, so they're like, oh, shit. They're going to kill it before we get a chance to... Yeah, got it. Yeah, but that Ankeg didn't do anything wrong. And as far as scenes, there's a lot you could include, but I think the finale 
is going to be getting to that device and shutting it all the way down. You're going to have to fight through a lot of minions on your way there. Even the mad artificer themselves as they pitch their view of a perfect bee-less world that they talked about in the pamphlet one last time. Maybe they're even going to replace those bees with perfect robo-bees. <laughs> okay, this is... I was I was on board for so long, and then you got to the robo-bees. Yeah, because I realized I got inspired by Sonic the Hedgehog about halfway through. <laughs> like a Robotnik, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, you've got robo-bugs, robo-bees trying to stop the party from getting there. <laughs> and the hero probably shuts it all down by calling in all of the real bugs to their aid. So you need a druid in the party. Well, I mean, the main character is obsessively interested in bugs. Okay. Yeah. All right. Got it. <laughs> and other than that, you've got so much to start with when creating your encounters. You've got all those robo-bees and bugs. You've got sinkholes. They've got that ticking clock that every time they get slowed down by this stuff, the device is that much closer to going off. And really all of the encounters of the jungle are there to play with. Because you have that ticking clock, anything along that travel can start to really impact if they even do have to slow down. All of a sudden, oof, that ticking clock, it's getting closer and closer. Yeah, it becomes more meaningful. Well well done? <laughs> I, just, I don't know about I, that. I don't know how to get fully <laughs> on board with that one, so I'll, I'll just say uh, you've outdone yourself. How about that? Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, now that I've, uh, you know, Shat all over yours. Yeah, you better I'm do really going to have good. to land this one, which I don't think I will. However, I was given the flaw of overprotective character who seeks revenge on anyone who insults or threatens their friends, often without letting friends know about it. Oh yeah, secret revenge. And then I have an antagonist of a smuggler who uses hirelings to frame or attack innocent travelers in order to create distractions for the authorities while he slips through border checkpoints of the environment, which is a patchwork alliance of city-states that have recently gained independence from a crumbling empire. So we've got all this tension. No kidding. We've got Constant. a smuggler. We've got somebody's out for revenge. Got it. Very cool. Well, the conflict is, I'm thinking the smuggler has stolen something precious from the party from right under their noses particularly from the most congenial of the party. You know, there's always the nice one. Okay. And I would assume that the overprotective character who seeks revenge is probably not the nice one. So we're saying like maybe the unattached monk gets their staff, their only possession stolen. Yeah. So it's like, seriously? <laughs> yeah. And it's it's worth so much money to some weirdo collector. The monk, it's their humble staff. But it's from like a thousand years ago. Exactly. In their order. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the smuggler has it and is now making their way across all of these new city states to their buyer through all of these checkpoints. Now, I'm thinking for the scale, we've got like a provincial scale and really the ticking clock is just catching up to the smuggler. Cool. So there's only a certain amount of time that this journey is going to take. But then, of course... Both the party and the smuggler could be slowed down by their travel because of all of these border crossings. Yeah, absolutely. And the smuggler could be constantly 
dropping things that both slow the party down and piss them off. Mm-hmm. It's like adds to the stakes. So we've got all of these tumultuous checkpoints. Each one, I think we could probably tell a little bit of a story about the personality of the two city-states that are bordering this checkpoint. So like each one would have a very different vibe and you could have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. And then I'd want the players to be maybe the first distraction that the smuggler uses. Like I want the smuggler to be so dickish in their ability to stay ahead of the party that the very first border checkpoint that they get to, once the players start to figure out, okay, this is the game. It's how to get from point A to point B through all of these checkpoints and either sneak your way through, lie your way through, uh, bribe your way through, whatever the case may be. But the smuggler has an MO that was a part of the setup. So in this, the very first checkpoint, the players definitely have to be the distraction. So the smuggler sets them up to be the first distraction to allow them to slip through and they give a little wave and a <laughs> wink to the party to really twist the knife deeper. Gotcha, gotcha. Pays them to do some simple task that they realized was part of it. And then to change it up at every single checkpoint. So the next time the smuggler's wearing a disguise and they're going, okay, we've caught up. We're on horseback or whatever. Maybe we can catch up to the smuggler before he gets through the next checkpoint. We get there, and now we're looking for a, a character in disguise or something like that. Yeah, you could even potentially frame each in between as like a mini mystery. Yeah. Use some of those building blocks from our episodes we did about mysteries. And I think just some negotiation encounters to try and, and get anything that could help you get a leg up on this smuggler. So even, you know, people on fast horseback getting there before the smuggler, and maybe you can send somebody ahead to warn the next checkpoint that the smuggler's coming through and foil their plans a little bit. But I would love to play out this cat and mouse game all the way through. But again, like our travel episode, it's not really about the travel. It's not really about the encounters. We're getting to the destination so that the adventure can continue. And it's not necessarily about having to cross that entire province. Right. It's about having to find ways to cross it quicker. However, I could certainly use some of the lessons that we talked about in this episode to build in some mechanics of here are the two various outcomes. Both would get you closer to the smuggler in various ways. Which decision do you make? Yeah. And I think just to keep the players updated somewhat to the progress that the smuggler is making, you could have NPCs be willing to tell them where they were last seen, where the smuggler was last seen. Oh, yeah. People come in the opposite direction. Hey, did you see a guy that looks like this? Yeah. Yes, we did. He's about a day ahead of you. And the smuggler's totally fine with being seen. It's almost like a another jab at you as you're so far behind him. <laughs> oh, that's fun. I kind of want to play that now. <laughs> well, I think that does it for us. Yeah, absolutely. We hope that you've come away with some ideas about how to set up your next travel encounters. And we thank all of our patrons for all of those ideas that you sent in. That was tremendous. We thank you every time you participate in any of the weird challenges that we throw down in our Discord. And we should thank you every time just because you are supporting us and making this thing go. And speaking of support, 
you're wearing a, a fine-looking T-shirt this eve. Oh, thank you. We finally have a little bit of merch Is on it, our site. It's available on the site? It's finally available. It has been coming for so long. Oh, wow. It's finally up. Good job, Travis. I thought this day would never come because I wasn't making it happen. <laughs> that is correct. You were not. But we do have a, we have a hat and we have a t-shirt and we have some other fun stuff coming. We've got stickers and all kinds of stuff. So if you wanted to support the show, that's another way. It does less monetary support and a lot more, hey, you get to wear something kind of cool. Uh, because there is no markup on that shit. <laughs> and we get to know that somebody might be wearing it somewhere. <laughs> well, if you're a fan of the show and you'd like to wear something that uh, shows your colors, particularly the uh, Kelly Green of a lot of our merch, you should go and check it out. We also want to thank Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you've heard in this episode and every other episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can join the awesome community of players and DMs on our Discord. And we also have a Patreon where you can vote on some of the topics that we cover on the show as one of the many rewards for patrons. Also, regular bi-weekly hangouts where we can sit down and talk through some of these ideas. Are you struggling with trying to figure out what some of the outcomes and some of the benefits are to the travel encounter that you're trying to set up. Because we have always had at least each other to bounce ideas off of, but when you don't have anyone to, to bounce ideas off of, that's why we have regular Discord Hangouts for patrons. So, uh, would love to see you join us there as well. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening, and your mayor's probably team. an evil owlbear. <laughs> Looks like one, too.